Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Life After Abuse. This is Dr. Lisa J.P., and today we're going to be talking about uh, college campus sexual violence, but this really applies to any student who is going to any school, probably over the age of about 13. And I think that now that we're in the middle of the summer, it's really a great time to start thinking about how we can help the children in our lives really get through the school year safely. You know, we're rightly outraged when a young life is taken on a college or high school campus due to gun violence or some other sort of physical trauma. And I think we need to start spending some time thinking about really the much bigger issue of sexual violence that's occurring in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and on campus. One of the things that I found really striking to me as I started to talk to people about the assaults that had occurred up to my daughters was that almost to a person, there was an immediate response that, oh my God, that happened to my daughter, or that happened to my neighbor's daughter down the street, or that happened to my sister, my mother, my cousin, my auntie. It was astonishing how many women, especially in our society, have close knowledge of someone who has been sexually assaulted. And most of this happened in the context of either school or work. So I think it's time we we really need to start getting after this issue. The good news is that there are a lot of phenomenal researchers that are doing the great work to understand this problem and really get after it and help us to understand Uh, the scope of the problem, uh, the whys behind the problem, and some potential opportunities for prevention. So in this post, I'm actually going to focus on the statistics from a Columbia University Barnard cohort, and basically cohort is just a group of individuals, in this case a group of students, that was surveyed in 2016 as part of the SHIFT survey. Now the SHIFT study was actually the Sexual Health Initiative to Foster Transformation Study. And this is really looking at attitudes and experiences that are happening to our young people and really to understand the scope of the problem that they are facing and, again, how we can look for preventive measures. So this is one part of that study. The study was very well conducted and the analysis is quite solid. And I'm going to add the link to the paper in the reference section on the website so that you can go and read the study in its entirety, which I encourage all of you to do. Now, let's keep in mind that Columbia and Barnard College are viewed as probably two of the top universities in the country. And I think it's really important to mention this because I do think that there's still this pervasive attitude that bad things, including sexual uh, assault uh, and rape, happen to certain types of people. And usually those, those other people are those that live lives in our mind associated with our deep biases. So I think that this is something that we should really hold on to, that even in the esteemed setting of Columbia and Barnard, there are some bad things happening to great people. These colleges, of course, are populated 
with students who have exceptional SAT scores and high GPAs, and it's a reminder that this doesn't make them immune to the same social phenomena that we see in every other setting. This is a problem that we have in the United States of America. This is not limited to one socioeconomic group, one group of people with a certain skin color, one group of people who speak English as a second language. This is happening across our country. We need to stop it and we need to do something about it now. So this range of people and behaviors that exist in every segment of society was actually seen in this survey that was conducted at Columbia and Barnard. I really applaud the leadership at Columbia and Barnard for looking very deeply into this problem. And they did so with the goal of setting prevention strategies and ensuring that a safe learning environment exists for their students. They, they also wanted to make sure that they had support services that met the needs of their students. So these leaders are not putting their heads in the sand. They're not saying, oh, this doesn't happen here, and you know that happens someplace else, so we don't need to deal with it. They're saying, we know that even while we're trying to get preventive services in place, that there are absolutely students who need support today, right now, and we want to make sure that those women and men have those services so that they can lead the best lives at Columbia and Barnard that they can and that they can leave this these institutions very strong and ready to go out and make contributions to the world. It's also a reminder uh, that support and treatment and prevention must all occur together. So what did they find? Well, in general, this study corroborates the findings in other studies. A couple of key points. 22% of all students reported a sexual assault, and that definition includes any unwanted sexual activity that can go from touching to penetration. And that was since they started college. Now listen, folks, that means that over one in five students had some form of non-consensual sexual activity ranging from unwanted touching to penetration and rape. So to put this in perspective, if a disease affects one in five Americans, it's fair to call that a national health crisis. So I'm gonna just go out there on that limb and say, yes, sexual assault is a national health crisis in the United States of America today. The study also found that women had a much higher rate of experiencing any type of sexual assault compared to men. So this was 28% for women and 12% for men. Now, keep in mind that that 12% for men is also outrageous and may actually be underreported because we know historically that men underreport sexual assault. So again, this underlies a story that I've been talking about, which is that sexual assault is happening to everyone in our society, men and women. And we're going to focus a lot more on women because that's really my area of a focus, but it is also happening to men and we need to be very sensitive to that and devise prevention and treatment strategies to help our young boys and men as well. There was a cumulative risk for sexual assault experiences over the four years of college, 
with over one in three women, so over 33% of women, experiencing a sexual assault by senior year. Basically, they, they asked women, so over the course of your freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, what happened? And what they found is that while we're going to talk about this in a moment, the red zone of sexual assault happens in freshman year, that actually over time, about a third of women, by the time that they graduate from college, have had a sexual assault. Again, this is an outrage. It must be stopped. Freshman year women are most likely to experience an assault. And we've seen that in study after study. This dates back over a decade. These are the early ages where young women are coming in. They're away from their families, for many of them for the first time. They are pulled into a more adult culture where there may be drinking or uh, sexual activity that they hadn't experienced before in their more sheltered uh, high school lives. And now they're faced with this different reality and many of them are unprepared for it. But also let's be very clear, they're also targeted, okay? So again, I state that predators, so these are the people who are out there, full stop, looking for women that they want to assault. They're gonna go looking for freshman women. They are not gonna go looking for other women who have more experience, understanding, support groups, networks, the women who know where the rape crisis center is, the women who know and don't feel ashamed to go talk to a counselor or a professor or a friend down the hall. These girls are certainly more socially isolated and the predators look for them. We need to be very honest about that. Delving deeper into the study identifies some really important aspects of sexual assault. Non-consensual sexualized touching accounted for the highest percentage of acts across gender groups and really accounted for about a third of all defined assaults. So basically, this is somebody coming up, trying to touch your butt or touching your butt, touching your breast, touching your hair in a sexual way. This is a boundaries issue, okay? And I think that we need to start really identifying what is appropriate and what is um, acceptable for one person to do to another person. We obviously want to be in a situation where people can be kind to each other, supportive of each other, but we also need to clearly define what you should do before you actually physically touch someone. It is not ridiculous to say, you know, I'm really sorry that you went through this, may I give you a hug? That's really not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, a person coming up and, you know, hitting the butt of another person or touching the breast or touching someone's back without asking them if that's okay. That is the sexualized touching we're talking about. It needs to stop. We need to have respect for other people's physical space and we need to start talking about that as early as elementary school. The study also found that attempted penetrative and penetrative assault, i.e. rape, comprised about 14 to 15% of sexual assaults. 
For women, physical force, particularly for penetrative sex or rape, was commonly used. It shouldn't surprise us. In our media, we tend to show rape as incapacitated rape. We suggest that women are going to parties, they're getting drunk, they are not in control of themselves, they're blacked out, they're laid out over a bed, and you know, oops, a perpetrator just comes along and says, hey, I think I'm gonna rape that woman. Let's be real here. A lot of women are completely in control of their faculties when they are raped. Even if they've been drinking, had a couple of drinks, and this study shows it, often requires a physical subduing of the victim in order to complete a rape, which means that a woman has been physically assaulted, not only from the rape, but probably has been harmed in terms of uh, being forced down, has been trapped, has been strangled, has been pushed up against a wall, has been forcibly you know, pulled over a, de a desk or a chair or a table, thrown down on the floor. I am being very, very vocal and very explicit because on some level, I really do want to shock you, my audience. I really do. We tend to view some despicable acts in our society based on, you know, what is allowable to show on television right because we we luckily for most of us we don't experience this and what it does is it numbs us to the brutality of the act so yes women are even on the esteemed campuses of Columbia University and Barnard College having forcible rape occur to them verbal coercion including criticism lying threats Threats to end the relationships, threats to tell other people what has happened, threats to their person. I'll kill you if you don't allow me to have sex with you. I will kill myself if you do not allow me to have sex with you. I will come to your room. I will say something horrible about you on social media. These types of coercions are employed at rates similar to physical force in the assault of women and is a very strong driver of assault. So let's unpack that a little bit. So we know that women are very cerebral human beings. We think about a lot of things and we hold a lot of different things in our head. We are also extremely social and group oriented. Men who are predators know that we can be humiliated. They know that. We know that, you know, the whole phenomenon of mean girls, you know, going back to middle school. These are learned behaviors. Women learn to have a lot of respect for people who are willing to humiliate and undermine them. They keep a safe distance from them. They, they know what some bad people are capable of. And they also know that women are sometimes so debased in our society that people will believe anything they read. And I think that perpetrators understand this very well. They understand the psychology of women very well. Now, the FBI actually includes coercion as part of its definition of rape, right? So for all of you, again, who think that rape either occurs through incapacitation, 
So the woman is completely unaware of her surroundings, her faculties. She's drunk out of her mind. She's been drugged or she's asleep or something like that. Or those of you who now understand that women are forcibly raped and not necessarily by a stranger, typically by somebody that they know. I also want to add coercion to the mix of things that leads to a woman being sexually assaulted and remind you, audience, that the FBI includes coercion as a part of its definition of rape. So browbeating, humiliation, threatening a young woman into having sex is not a yes to sex. That is a means of getting the woman to accept her situation and forcibly have sex with a man. So browbeating, humiliation, threatening a young woman into having sex does not constitute consent. It does not mean yes when it is when sex is procured in this manner. It is a form of psychological violence that has led to a woman having non-consensual sex. It's very important for us to understand that. So the final thing is that, you know, I just wanted to say I absolutely agree with the authors who strongly support the role of assertiveness training of young women as a prevention strategy for coercion. And this is, and I'll say this a hundred times, this is not a blame the victim situation any more than telling a young person to put a seat belt on in the car is blaming them if they have an accident without the seat belt on you know what I'm saying guys we have got to focus in on prevention strategies in every single aspect of the sexual assault drama that is being played out that's prevention for potential predators, prevention to ensure that young men understand boundaries. It is prevention for young women to understand their rights. It is prevention to ensure they understand how to defend themselves if that is possible. It is prevention strategies to understand if you are a bystander, what to do. If you see something happening, if you see someone being coerced, if you see, see someone who is incapacitated, what to do in those situations, we must continue to talk about prevention. A quick word on revictimization. So this is when a victim in, say in this case, in the college cohort has actually had multiple assaults. This is really a very interesting finding because this study found that pre-college sexual assault was actually a predictor for experiencing assault in college and that victims who had an assault were more likely to experience a second assault. There is a psychology that happens typically related to trauma uh, that we will talk about much more with some psychologists in future episodes. But if a woman has been victimized, it completely changes how she thinks about herself, how she thinks about the assault or the rape. It changes how she thinks about her self-worth how she thinks about her safety. It changes the psychology and the thought pattern of the victim. 
And so we need to unpack that and we will unpack that in future episodes because one assault absolutely can lead to another if treatment is not quickly deployed to support that victim after her first assault. This study uh, concluded that the data really supports prevention efforts, including care for survivors, in order to reduce future assaults. We really need to make sure that this very vulnerable population um, has the psychological, physical, emotional support so that they don't have to relive this trauma again and we set these young women up for success. So what to do? So first, I'd like for you to memorize just one talking point on campus sexual violence. Pick the one that moves you the most. Maybe it's the 22% of all students reporting a sexual assault. Perhaps it's the 28% of women who experience a sexual assault. Perhaps it's the one in three uh, chance of a woman who gets through her senior year of college who has a sexual assault. Or go to or going to the study itself, which I've posted the link to, and really very clearly understanding what some of those sexual assault patterns are. Find one thing that is your talking point about campus sexual assault. And then the next thing is, I want you to put it up on your social media and include students in your reach. Start this conversation by getting this information to any middle, high school, or college student that you know. This can be, again, a simple text or a longer conversation. It can be on your Instagram. Make sure people know that you're angry about this and that you want to do something about it and you want them to take action as well. Finally, be a non-judgmental support system. Please give a shout out to any student that you know that you are always going to be there for them as a supporter. No matter what happens, they know that they can call you. We've got to protect our young people. We've got to protect our young women. We've got to give them the best chance. And the best way to do that is for them to know that there are people around them who care about them no matter what happens.